Welcome to part two of the fifth episode of Yunamu's podcast series. Quick recap. Today we are joined by Amelia Sharif and Riza Rosan again to talk about microaggression against women at the workplace in conjunction with the International Day for the Elimination of Violence Against Women. For those who are a bit late to the party, don't forget to listen to part one of the fifth episode of Yunamu's podcast series. I'm actually curious about something since we're actually talking um, the setting in a workplace, but I believe that some of our listeners are students as well. And I would like to ask like um, from uh, my friend, uh, she was actually, uh, she, I, I'm not sure if this is considered microaggression or not, but when she wanted to study, she wanted to take a uh, marketing. And one of uh, a guy said to her like, uh, you think you're so smart, is it? Just going to take up marketing without, um, you know, like just taking up without knowing it all and, you know, just taking and because, oh, marketing. But um, yeah, is that considered a microaggression? Any I guess other? I'll go first. Yeah. <laughs> first of all, what is even that comment? What a weird thing to say. Yeah, I mean, I know, that's right? why, yeah, I mean, that's why people go to university to learn something. Um, but to answer your question, um, and Riza, please feel free to jump in. I do think that is a form of microaggression. Um, to help with the process of identification of microaggression, um, we typically categorize this behavior or attitude into three categories. So there could be micro-assaults or micro-attacks. The second category is micro-insults or jokes. Um, the third category is some kind of invalidation or denial. So it could be invalidation of or, or denial of rights, denial of lived experiences. Um, it could also be denial of um, a specific thing that has happened, not necessarily like a larger lived experiences and things like that. So when it comes to the first category, right, um, like micro assaults, these are usually actions that that it's a bit more active in that sense, like people actually say things um, that ended up being offensive because it degrades, threatens, or humiliates a person. Um, insults are usually jokes. This is usually unintentional. So these are things that people say um, that they, you know, they, they would probably you know, intended in a way of, um, well, you know, this is just a joke, shouldn't be taking it seriously, or invalidation or things like saying, what do you mean? There's no sexual harassment in society, or what do you mean? Women's, women are already equal um, in society, you know, things like that, right? When you actively deny someone of, of, of their rights or lived experiences. So what you explained, Hazira, I would say that fall under the first category of microaggression, because it is a direct form of attack to her ability as a person. It is a direct attack to her competence, a direct attack to her intelligence, because he's making that, that, that comment on the assumption that she lacks all of them that makes it questionable as to whether or not she's pursuing marketing. Um, that's how I would read it. But the thing with microaggression, and because it is subtle, it is also quite subjective. So if you talk to me and if you talk to other feminists, or in fact, if you ask Rizal, he, you know, other people might um, you know, categorize it differently. In fact, that's one of the biggest criticisms um, against 
um, you know, microaggression and, you know, against this issue being brought up in schools or in, in workplaces or even in public places because it is extremely subtle and subjective. So in that sense, it lacks some kind of, you know, an objective test to determine whether or not this is indeed a form of microaggression. But what we usually believe in from, you know, a feminist point of view, um, it is, of course, you have to look from it from a victim-centric process. So I want to explain a little bit what I just said. So I said, first of all, from a feminist point of view, and I want to explain what feminist point of view is. So a feminist point of view isn't necessarily a point of view that, you know, prioritizes women over other point of view, but it is essentially a point of view that looks at tackling patriarchy and values or ideals that are perpetuated by the patriarchy. And it could be both men or women or people from other gender identities that perpetuate, you know, um, patriarchy, right? So a feminist point of view isn't necessarily gendered. It's, it's something that talks about gender and unpacks gender and, you know, its intersectionality with other things. So it is inherently something that talks about what is, you know, equitable, what is right, um, in, a, in a situation. So that's what I mean when I say from a feminist point of view. The second thing I said was um, that, um, you know, it is something that we should look at from the victim's point of view. So I want to talk about that a little bit because so many people have this misconception when people say, oh, victim-centric process, oh, you have to, you know, believe the victim. And then people will say, what does that mean we have to, you know, believe the victim uh, without any form of investigation or does that mean just because someone speak up it means that you know actions can be taken with that you know it's enough that someone maybe tweet about it or talk about it right so that's not what victim-centric process mean or you know even believe survivors mean um, what that means is essentially you create a process a framework an environment that makes it as easy as comfortable as convenient as possible for survivors to come forward, make their case, lodge a complaint, and seek recourse, right? Whatever, whatever that might be. So maybe some people want to lodge a police report. Some people maybe want to lodge a complaint to HR. Some people maybe just want to have a conversation with the person who's doing the microaggression and be like, hey, you know, that's not cool. Maybe let's not do that again, right? Um, so there is a sense of natural justice when we talk about a victim-centric process. And similarly, when we talk about microaggressions, we're essentially talking about creating an environment when survivors talk about the microaggressions that they have faced, be in school or in, at the workplace or in public place, um, that they are taken seriously and that this, um, you know, these experiences are not met with doubt or disbelief and that, you know, ultimately the experiences are not invalidated or denied. So I think those are like some of the things that I like to point out in answering that question. Yes. Okay. Thank you so much, Emilia. I like how you pointed out um, how the way um, you explain your, I mean, the word usage of feminist and even, um, yes, I definitely agree that these days even we can see that there are multiple and even more cases um, about violence against women and even microaggression that's happening and it, victims are not comfortable enough to come forward because the 
the thing the thing that they will get back if they um talk about it. So moving forward, um, how do we become an ally to women universally? Example, not only for survivors of misconduct, but to all women in general and experiencing any form of mistreatment or misconduct stemming from patriarchy. So, um, M, would you like to go first? Sure. Um, before I answer that question, I just have to address that generalization a little bit because it's not just women who are victims of patriarchy. Yeah? Um, mm-hmm. Men are also victims of patriarchy. And if you understand the world from an intersectional point of view, you know, so many different things about your identity could place you in a place with, you know, lesser privilege, right? So for example, a heterosexual man versus um, a queer man or, you know, a straight woman and a queer woman or a lesbian, right? So all of these different parts of the identities, be it their religion, their, their, um, their race, all of these things would mean that they would have certain kind of privileges. So it's not just men who also have privilege. Some women also have privilege over other women. And I've definitely been in situations where it is a woman who, you know, created a hostile environment for another woman. There are, I think, um, studies about, um, I mean, men definitely interrupted women in, in meetings more than they interrupt men, but women also interrupt more um, women as compared to they interrupt men in meetings. Do you get what I mean? So I guess what I'm trying to say is I wouldn't encourage us looking at this issue like, yes, women face microaggressions, but there are so many people that could contribute these patriarchal structures, whether knowingly or unknowingly. But to answer the root of your question, right, um, which is, what, what was it? What, what do we deal, how do we deal with it? Was it it? Uh, how do we become an ally? How do we become an ally? Yes, thank yeah. you for reminding me. I guess it's exactly what Rizal and I have explained before. Um, we all have ears. We all have eyes. Um, if you see someone being put in a situation where they are at the receiving end of microaggression, you definitely have the power to do something about it. Either you can, again, intervene there and then, maybe it's in a meeting, maybe it's in a, you know, in a, in a social environment, you can say something, or you can go to this person afterwards and say, hey, that happened, how do you feel? Um, you know, how can I support you? Or would you like to talk about it? Um, that is, you know, offering support to the victim. You can also be an ally by um, doing something a bit more active. For example, um, we say that, you know, if you can't, intervene in a situation face-to-face because you don't want it to fit into a more, um, you know, active, how do I say this, a more hostile environment. You don't want to, you know, intervene there and then. You could always send an email afterwards, text afterwards and be like, shouldn't have done that. That's not cool. Um, But I think it is also important for us to realize that we are all human beings on a journey to becoming better human beings. We are learning, like I said earlier, um, you know, sometimes we carry some values that are embedded, deep-rooted or indoctrinated, and we don't realize. Um, So this goes both ways. So that means when someone comes to you, um, you know, someone comes to you and they say, hey, you know, you said this, you shouldn't have done that. 
the point is to not be defensive when someone pointed out that you've done something that makes them feel uncomfortable, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I've been placed in multiple situations where someone said something to another person and this person said, I can't possibly do that. You know, I'm a feminist or I can't possibly do that. I'm super woke. Or I can't possibly do that. I believe in equality. So I think there's this idea that people just sometimes get super defensive because they just think that, you know, it ultimately means that, oh, you're a horrible person if you create like microaggression against another person, which is why I brought up this idea about how we're all learning and we're all learning about each other's boundaries, right? So if it's being pointed out to you that you have violated someone's boundaries, made someone feel uncomfortable, made someone feel excluded, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, take it in, reflect. Um, you don't have to apologize immediately. That's too hard. Think about it. And ultimately, you know, if you can apologize, that would be great because when someone told you you've hurt them, it's not really your position to decide whether or not they should feel hurt or otherwise, mm-hmm. right? Um, but again, to some people, because I've, I've, I've worked with people who just refuse to apologize, sometimes, you know, last, last resort, I just say, you know, if it's too hard for you to apologize, then just don't do it again, like ever, not to this person, not to another person, right? So it comes from the realization that we're learning. Um, it, it, we, we are all capable and it's possible for us to make these mistakes. Uh, when it's pointed out, hopefully we have the courage um, and we have the wisdom to take it with an open mind to reflect, apologize and, and do better um, in, in that situation. Um, finally, usually I also tell other people, um, if someone speak up about their experiences, be it microaggression or sexual harassment, rape, anything, um, a lot of people feel the need to be a part of that conversation and enforce their opinion as to whether or not they think it's possible, as to whether or not they think it could have happened, or they pointed out things the victim shouldn't have done. And things like that, right? And this is especially if this conversation happens on Twitter. Everyone feels like they're invited to this conversation and that they have to give an opinion on on situations like this. Um, In this kind of situation, I always say that when someone speaks up about, you know, experiences that have gone through, it's very unlikely that people would lie about these things. But even if, worst case scenario, you just don't believe it. You just, you just think that, ah, oh, there's so many weird odd things that I don't believe in whatever this person is saying. My final advice to this kind of people is if you don't have anything kind to say, then don't say anything. You don't have to respond. It is your, not your job to poke holes in someone's lived experiences it's not your job job to counter um you know or or um or to or to investigate it is not your job someone speaking up this is important and this is personal and this is difficult for them just don't make that a lot more difficult for them unnecessarily so if you don't have anything nice to say the the smallest way in which you can be an ally is to not say anything that could potentially create a bigger trauma for this person because you never know what's happening because you don't know, right? This is just another person speaking up. So don't say anything if you don't have a kind thing to say. Yep. Yes. Um, yeah, definitely agree. I love how you corrected and then even gave a thorough explanation on the advices and what, sh- what we should actually do from 
um, a, a normal person could actually do, you know? And then also remember everyone, if you have nothing nice to say, you don't need to say anything. And Riza, um, what do you think? What, what do you think we, we could do or anyone out there could do in order for them to become an ally, you know? Yeah, I think M has um, explained it thoroughly. Um, it's from, from my part, I think I would like to just reiterate some points that M has already pointed out. Um, maybe on my side, more to like how men can be better allies as well. I think we've uh, spoke about it also earlier um, to be more reflective, um, especially agree with that uh, to be, uh, to know that we, I, I totally agree with that, <laughs> um, that, that we are all in a journey to become better persons uh, at the end, you know, yeah. uh, that we never, I don't know if you think that you're that, that one perfect person in the world, I think there's no saving. <laughs> Um, whoever <laughs> who's listening, you know, very but true. If, yeah, but if you think that you you are susceptible to making um, to to be wrong sometimes in your life because uh, the way or because of the way you are grow, uh, you you were you were brought up um, because of uh, because of your privileges that you might not know before. Uh, there's always a room for you to improve. There's always a room for you to be better. So in that journey to be better, um, what it helps you is also is to it helps you to be a better ally in um, in this sort of situation. So in order to improve yourself, uh, the first thing to to you that you must have is to um, the ability to reflect, uh, to un to not be defensive. How to say? Uh, if it's not be defensive, to be open. Yeah, to be open that um, um, and embrace your you know whatever you are lacking, and look forward to where you can improve as a person. So um, I think in this. Um, in what we are talking about today, um, my final advice is always to improve ourselves. Uh, that means be open to uh, criticism, be open to changing our own viewpoints, to be open to understand context. So, uh, what M mentioned earlier really spoke to me because sometimes even in this um, human rights circles or even in the feminist circles, we tend to be um, we tend to be overprotective of our values. In that sense, we can be a bit defensive. But if we employ empathy in understanding how perpetrators, um, you know, affect our our values, all that. I think there's a way to to become better, to pull people to um, 
to be more feminist or more human rights centric um, by using empathy. So I think we can go very far if we heed our own advices by being more empathetic and um, to, to know that everyone's in a journey to improve themselves. What Riza said is very true. It's um, yes, we as humans are prone to make mistakes along the way. And what matters most is that we actually reflect on it and improve ourselves and actually grow to become a better person. You know, if we all improve and grow together, I believe that will make society even a better place to live in, you know. So I think that's all the time we have today. Thank you to Amelia and Rizal for your time and input and all the information and statements you gave. They were all really nice to hear and very eye-opening. So before we end this session, um, where can we find and read more about your work and how can we find you? Mind sharing with our listeners any links, pages, social media if they want to find out more? Actually, from my side, I don't know. I'm not that comfortable sharing my Instagram or, or my Facebook. <laughs> yeah, <Sometimes definitely. laughs> it's all just for the lols. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. You all want privacy, you know? <laughs> yeah, for me, more towards my um, LinkedIn. So mm-hmm. if, um, if any of the listeners are serious about, say, they want to create their own ally male ally circles in their own communities mm-hmm. and they feel like they need some guidance or they need some uh, sharing or knowledge sharing on this uh, on this end I'd be more than happy to share my experiences so please just um, head over to my LinkedIn it's my name Rizal Rozhan and just drop me a DM um, you know uh, an inbox or yeah please I'll be more than happy. I have been opening up this opportunity <laughs> for quite some time, but unfortunately, I think I received two or three. Uh, well, well, that's good, you know. Um, receiving even just one message from any random stranger okay. who just wants to learn uh, is uh, makes my day already. So um, yeah, please feel free to uh, connect with me through my LinkedIn result, Rozhan. Yep. Okay. So Riza Rosan is the man to go for. Okay, everyone. So, <laughs> so M, uh, would you like to plug in anything? Yes, sure. Um, if you have any questions pertaining to, um, you know, issues of harassment, bullying, discrimination at the workplace, or if you like to work with us, you can con- connect with us um, through our website. That's www.speakupmalaysia.com. Um, I'm also a little bit like Rizal, my mm. personal Twitter and um, Instagram are, I don't know what I post there. Um, <laughs> but if you want to get in touch, you can always email me um, as well. Mm. That would be um, at connect at speakupmalaysia.com. Connect as in C-O-N-N-E-C-T at speakupmalaysia.com. Um, Finally, Hazira, if I can just add on one final thing, I just want to remind everyone another thing. That is, when we're calling out another person, be it on social media or in real life, it is also important for us 
to be kind to other people in that situation because I've seen how when someone is calling out a sexist behavior or microaggression, um, it sometimes escalates to cyberbullying and things like that as well. So the advice to be nice and you know to 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 you know to be decent human beings that goes both ways because the way we treat others, be it those who agree with us or those who disagree with us, those who we think are right or those who are clearly wrong, that says a lot about who we are as a person as well. So I would like to extend this invitation to also think about how we respond and how we call out harmful behaviors in society and think about how can we potentially make these interactions more productive, not just for us, but for everyone involved. That would be all for me. Yep. Okay. Here, here, M. Um, that's why I also deleted my Twitter <laughs> recently oh, no. because I just can't. I just can't with the Twitter energy. <laughs> oh my gosh, that sounds bad. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, lah. But uh, my mental health has been uh, progressing ever since. So I'm um, sorry, Twitter. <laughs> okay. Power uh, to you, Rizal. Yep, but Twitter can really be a dark place at times. Definitely agree. And I hope um, it gets better, you know, Riza? You know, just focus on, you know, your life and stuff that, that makes you happy. So, Thank you, Azina. Yeah. So um, on behalf of Yunam Youth, we would like to extend our thanks to both of you, Rizal and M, for sharing your thoughts on this subject. And... Last, uh, last but not least, we wish you a happy International Day for the Elimination of Violence Against Women, which is happening this 25th November. Let's be part of the Orange Movement. Here, here. For more info about our next episode of podcast series and our other exciting events, do follow us on Instagram at yuda.malaysia and visit our Facebook, United Nations Association of Malaysia.